Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Next, Pastor Jim will give a word from some Bibles. Let's do that. There was a moment when the majority of people believed smoking was good for you. Doctors promoted it, ads marketed the benefits of it, but we got a little wiser. I find it fascinating through history how often the majority says something that they claim is true, and then we find out later it's a total sham. Strangely, this pattern is not uncommon in history. The majority of Christians today believe there is a place on fire where God is torturing mean, evil, wicked people, burning them, and it's called hell. But what if this concept is not true, and even worse, what if it's not even in the Bible? Yep, that's right. I'm going to show you from the Bible that hell is not what you've been told. And I'm going to share some verses, and we're going to get there. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of hell. So here we learn that Jesus oversees hell. But what hell is may not be what we've always thought. If Jesus is the creator of all things, did he create hell, a place to torture people? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, speaking about the judgment at the close of time just before his return, he begins with those who are saved, and he describes them as helping the poor, the hungry, the homeless, the naked. And he describes how if we take care of those around us, we will be saved. But if we don't, he says this, Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Jesus, the creator, is saying that hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice it was never created for anyone else besides those who rebelled in the realm of heaven. So there was a recent Barna poll that indicated that 76% of Americans believed in heaven and 71% believed in hell. So what is hell? Well, the concept of hell, it does originate in the Bible, and uh, it's just a little different than what people usually think. So here's a few verses I'm going to share. The first one is Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. And it goes like this, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, it says, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then you go to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, and it describes, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Then there's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power. And then one more in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 50, it says, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, 
and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of scriptures on this idea of hell. So hell is usually equated with destruction and punishment, but the idea of a place that exists currently where God is actively torturing people is not found in your Bible or mine. And there are examples of the usage of eternal fire many times in the Bible, but none of these are referring to an eternal burning of someone or something. So where do we get this idea of God torturing sinners in hell right now under our feet? Where does that come from? Well, Jude chapter one, this is the book right before Revelation, verse seven says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Then it says, they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So one question to quickly ask is about this eternal fire. Are Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities, still burning today? And if not, then what is the fire being spoken of? And another question could be, is that fire burning on its own? Because fire usually of necessity needs fuel, otherwise it burns up the substance that is in it. And so this concept of God torturing people, if he keeps them burning, then he's providing the fuel. And, and I just wanna share some points that, that make it clear, that is not the God of scripture that would do anything like that. And to build on the point of fire burning something up, especially the wicked, uh, I want you to look at Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter four and verse one. And it says, it says this, for behold, the day is coming that shall burn as an oven. All the proud, all that do wickedly, uh, they'll, they'll be like stubble. And the day comes, uh, that day when it comes, it, it will burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave neither root nor branch. So there's no mention here of eternal burning. And if we look at Revelation chapter 20, and verse 10, it touches on this idea of fire completely devouring something. Even, even verse nine in, in Revelation chapter 20 describes they went up on the breath of the earth, they surrounded the camp of the saints and the city. Then it says something interesting. It says the fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So all these things are talking about a future event, not an actual place. So where did that idea even come from? of being burned and tortured in the here and now and in the past. Well, here's the truth. The church made it up. The Christian church manufactured the idea that a loving God tortures and burns wicked people right now under our feet, and you should be afraid of that. It, it's been a system of control. And I think a good way to describe it would be like this. How would you feel if you found out that the most respected, loving person you know actually has some criminals in their basement that they torture 24 hours per day, seven days a week? Would you still think that person was a really nice, sweet, loving person, even if they spend their days giving food to the homeless, yet they go home every night and they torture criminals in their basement? I don't think we would feel comfortable being around that person knowing what they do. So why do we think anyone would wanna know a God who in the basement of hell is actively torturing people? We, we wouldn't. And billions don't because they think if this is what God is, he's loving to some and he's torturing others, then he's a certified psychopath. 
you know, have you ever heard the expression that power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely? So when the church left the teaching of scripture, as was predicted by Paul, and also mentioned in the prophecies of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, she begins to resort to force rather than the love of God. And we're told that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so one of the ways to motivate people to give money during the Dark Ages, that time when the church merged with the state, one of the ways they, they used to fundraise was to scare people with the teaching of eternal torment, eternal torture, that God took pleasure in torturing people in fire for as long as he liked. And this led to the baptizing of babies at birth because all were deemed sinners and should fear this fire and punishment from day one. So to believe this to be true, you have to throw out the entire story of scripture that a loving God created us out of his own free will and then chose to live with us and then die to save his creation. You have to throw that out. Because this teaching of hell has led you know, it's like this grand marketing and sales effort by the church. It led to the sale of indulgences, which were basically free passes or certificates out of purgatory or hell. Purgatory, like this waiting room, this middle place, to determine if you were going to go to heaven or hell. And you guessed it, none of this finds anything in Scripture. Think about it. If God tortures people forever for choosing their own way, and we also call this sin or being selfish, do you think you would do that to, to someone that, that did something so bad? You know, if we think about that guy back in town, that he seems so loving, but we know what's going on in his basement, torturing those criminals every single day, we would eventually say, okay, that's enough. They've been punished. Stop torturing them. So in that scenario, would we have more mercy than the God of mercy? That doesn't even make sense. But this scare tactic was based in Rome, and it was the tool used to build St. Peter's Basilica, led by Pope Leo X. And this began to be a huge funding source to the Christian economy. So now you can see why Martin Luther's message of justification by faith, how anyone can freely access heaven, they can gain forgiveness for their sins, and not suffer in hell, but be saved in paradise. Luther was basically Mr. Disruption. And his message was free forgiveness, and he totally was disrupting the economy. One author put it like this, and I quote, the prince of darkness working through his agents represented God, with this concept of eternal torment, as a revengeful tyrant, declaring that he plunges into hell all those who do not please him and causes them to feel his wrath forever. And that while they suffer unutterable anguish and writhe in eternal flames, their creator looks down upon them with satisfaction. And then another described their experience with this, this idea of trying to understand this teaching and, and God. They described it like this. In my mind, the justice of God eclipsed his love and mercy. And the mental anguish I passed through all this time felt very great. I'd been taught to believe in an eternally burning hell. And as I thought of the wretched state of the sinner without God, without hope, I was in deep despair. I feared that I should be lost and that I should live throughout eternity suffering a living death. And the horrifying thought was constantly before me that my sins were too great to be forgiven and that I should be forever lost. I cannot say this emphatically enough. 
in this our day, it is beyond the power of the human mind to estimate the evil which has been brought into this world by the heresy of eternal torment. The religion of the Bible, full of love, goodness, you know, the amazing compassion of God, is totally stained by this superstition and it's clothed with, with fear and terror today. One quote said it like this. When we consider in what false colors Satan has painted the character of God, can we wonder that our merciful creator is feared, dreaded, and even hated? The appalling views of God which have spread over the world from the teachings of the pulpit have made thousands, maybe millions, skeptics and infidels, end quote. We have to ask, either God is good or he is not. We gotta make that decision. And I think the Bible is clear that we don't just pass into another realm upon death, but instead we sleep in the ground awaiting a resurrection. And that resurrection doesn't happen until a judgment which precedes the second coming, until our cases have been decided. Because Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12 says it like this, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And then verse 15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So these are some serious words. But if you're all fearful of this idea of judgment, of someone judging you, usually we use that in a bad term. But scripture doesn't. And here's the good news. Everyone judged in this moment by Jesus is saved. Because Daniel 7.22 says, Jesus judges in favor of his saints. And the word saints there isn't describing anyone other than you and I who can profess to believe and accept Jesus into our lives. And then we ask him to will and to do of his good pleasure in us and through us. You know, as we talked about earlier, when God punishes, it's forever, but it's not by keeping people alive and torturing them. The selfish, those who choose self over what God has shown them to be true, they're destroyed in a moment and don't think for a second that will be a good day in God's eyes because souls he created and died for are lost because they did not choose to be saved, not because Jesus didn't want them to be saved. Because John 3.16, it's that verse we all know, or we've at least heard of even at the end zone in football games. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hell was never prepared for anyone but the devil and his angels, that alien race of beings created to live forever, basking in the goodness of God with every want supplied, but yet they chose to live for self and not for each other. And this concept, it's James 4, 17, knowing to do right and choosing not to do it, this is the only thing that keeps us from God. This is the real definition of sin. So if God wants to save not to torture. If the Bible doesn't teach such confusion like the Christian church has, then the question I wanna ask you is this. How does that affect your relationship, your view of what God is all about? Because if all this torture stuff is not true, it changes what's going on. And we start to see that there is a war taking place. 
And then we start to see who's responsible. And sadly, the church has been used to, to sell error into the world. I want to close with prayer. Heavenly Father, do for us what we can't do for ourselves. You came to save us, and we just pray that you will do that, and then we have nothing to fear. Give us the courage to leave systems of error that teach uh, that you are a vengeful tyrant. I just thank you. I pray for a blessing for everyone who gets to watch this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.